you're listening to the Sojourn Montrose Sermon Podcast. To get connected at Sojourn Montrose, visit our website, sojournmontrose.org. Um, so this is called the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils. Um, as I mentioned, it's one of the most famous uh, parables in Jesus' ministry. It's an early parable um, and it's compelling and clear, I think. Not only do we have record of the parable, as I said, but the guesswork is taken out. Um, we don't have to try and unpack the parable ourselves. Jesus does that for us as he does it for his own disciples. And I think even on its surface, the parable, um, at least as believers, the parable is pretty, um, pretty self-explanatory. We kind of get what Jesus is getting at and saying, but at the same time, I want us to learn from Jesus himself, and so let's walk through the parable again and kind of unpack it. That won't be the, um, the, the main thrust of the sermon this morning, but I do want us to have clear language about what Jesus is actually saying before we move on. So let's read the parable. Mark chapter 4, um, verse 1, it says this, And he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he he, instead of just being among the crowd, Jesus actually gets in a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd is just sitting on the beach the sea on the land, beside the sea on the land, and he's teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he says to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. A sower is somebody who puts seeds in the ground. Uh, a sower goes out to sow, and he sowed some seed, fell along the path, this this dirt path, and the birds came and devoured it, and the other seed fell along the rocky ground um, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, the, the plant was scorched since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed falls among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell into, a, into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And then Jesus ends by saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then, skipping ahead, Jesus interprets this for us in verse 14. Um, it says this, the sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. In the path, when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones on the rocky ground, the one who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, and they endure for a little while. Then, when, the, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in. They choke out the word and it proves unfruitful. But then there are those that were sown on the good soil. Those are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. And it roots down deep and they bear fruit that, that goes 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So we have this scenario playing out, right? The character is the sower. In this case, it's Jesus sowing the truth of the gospel to those in his region, but it's also as a secondary kind of level, the sowers are any who believe and would share the good news of Christ. Um, so in a real sense, we who share the good news, we are represented by the sower in this parable, but, but primarily this is Jesus who is sowing the news about who he is. 
And what we're sowing is the seed or the word, the spoken and written good news of who Jesus is and what he has done, what God has done on our behalf. So when we, uh, we send these seeds out and put them in soil by telling people the good news, by sharing the gospel. The sower is entrusted to preach the good news. The seed is the gospel. And the soil is those whom are told. Right? Simple enough. But there are these different scenarios revolving around those who hear the word. Right? Jesus tells us, um, which is really the main point of the parable, that not everybody you tell the good news of the gospel to will receive it. Some soil isn't soil at all, but it's more like a sidewalk where birds come and just can eat seed right off it. Um, Some soil is just bad, rocky soil where no roots can take hold. Some soil is already filled with thorns and thistles that choke out good plants. And then finally, there's this good soil, which we're told the seed of the gospel roots deep and grows into a mature and flourishing plant that produces fruit, in this case, grain. And so Jesus is telling us that all of these scenarios um, correspond to these gospel inhibitors or these problems or issues that, that make the gospel unable to take root. And the first is that, uh, that these birds come, which is meant to signify, Jesus tells us, Satan and his demons, the spiritual realm, right, which we're first introduced to in, in, uh, in the gospel of Mark, in Mark 1, when Jesus casts out a demon from a man. Um, and so, Already, Jesus is kind of saying again, like the spiritual realm is not to be ignored. In fact, it's at a much higher volume than we can perceive. Jesus is saying, don't ignore the spiritual realm. It's very active. Satan and his demons are very active, and they are going around snatching the gospel from the ears of those who are hearing it. This is a rare moment in Scripture where we get an inside look at satanic activity. Activity. What is Satan doing? Well, he's, one of the things he's doing, we're told, is actively working to block people from receiving the good news of salvation. And as an aside, I don't think Jesus rank, is ranking these scenarios necessarily. Um, but I think if I were to rank um, reasons that the gospel doesn't take root in unbelievers, I would probably rank it the opposite. And I might be wrong, right? Like I would probably say like worldliness is probably the biggest inhibitor to the gospel and then maybe suffering as a result or the social cost of the gospel. And then I might put last, yeah, there's probably also a spiritual warfare component to people not hearing the gospel. But Jesus is saying at least in, in the order of operations, no, like the, there is a real active and fast presence of demons snatching the word out of the ears of people who can't hear it doesn't even have a chance to take any root. So the, I don't think he's ranking these, but at the very least, we need to be cognizant. Uh, we need to be aware of the spiritual war that we're facing. Second, there are those who seem to have a real and joyful conversion experience, right? You might have experienced this or met somebody like this. Um, but Jesus says when things get hard for them, when persecution comes as a result of their belief, then they abandon their faith. So in other parts of the world, this very much means uh, maybe physical persecution or being totally cut off from family members, right? But in the West, I think this often takes the picture of just a social cost. There's a social cost to the gospel where, um, where friends or colleagues or coworkers, when you become a Christian, kind of 
think you're less fun or not worth hanging out anymore or intellectually on a different level than them, right? And so for some, this social cost, um, they kind of reflect on their conversion and maybe chalk it up to emotions or being in the moment, and so they abandon their faith. Third, there are those who hear the gospel and seem to have this joyful and real conversion experience as well, but instead of negative pressure causing them to leave their faith, um, for them, there's positive outside temptation. The ways of the world are just too alluring, right? Maybe it's excessive wealth or status or fame or sexuality or identity. Maybe these things that the world champions that are incompatible with the gospel of Jesus, maybe they're just too tempting and too exciting and seem too real and too tangible for some. And for those, they abandon Christ for the sake of what the world offers. But then finally, we have this, this good soil, right? Those who hear the word, they accept it, they continually appeal to the Holy Spirit to sustain their soil, they, they stay rooted in Christ, and they stay rooted in his bride, the church, and as a result of their salvation and their steadfastness in their faith, they produce good fruit. As a result of their salvation, they produce good works, they do good things, and they share the good news of Christ. So there you have it. That's the, the parable of the sower. And as much as we could probably spend a sermon on each scenario, like a five-week series on each of the types of soil that the Lord is sowing seeds on, um, I want to instead focus on what we skipped, which is probably the most, uh, maybe the biggest landmine in the text, if you caught it. Uh, look again, starting in verse 9. This is what Jesus says after he finished the parable and before he explains it. Jesus ends by saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he is alone, those around him and the twelve, the, the disciples, asked him, like, why do, you, why do you teach in parables? And Jesus says to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those who are outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, they may indeed hear, but not understand, lest or unless, or so that they may not turn and be forgiven. Um, this is where it gets complicated, I think, right? This is, this, is, um, this is a complicated and difficult part of the text. This is why it's complicated, I think, in my, in my view. It's been my understanding as a Bible reader for a long time uh, and somebody who was raised in the church that the parables are useful because this is an agrarian society that's familiar with language surrounding small business and dinner parties, but certainly farming. Um, and so it's been explained to me that Jesus talks in parables so that people would understand, so that people would understand him. And I don't think that's totally wrong. I think Jesus wants them to comprehend the words that he is saying. Like the people understand, I understand the words that you're saying. Like there's birds and seed and, and sowing. Like I understand the picture. But in this account with Jesus and his followers, Jesus tells them the opposite of what I think many of us might expect. Or at least I expect. He says, for you the secrets are going to be revealed. And then he re literally reveals what the parable means to them. But I speak in, in parables so that those outside won't understand, so that they'll see but not perceive, so that they'll hear and not understand. And he says, lest they 
which just means, put another way, so that they don't turn and they're not forgiven. That's troubling on the surface, I think, right? Because didn't Jesus come to forgive people? Jesus is saying he speaks in parables so that they would not, they would understand like specifically the words that he's saying, but that they would not understand the meaning behind those words. And he's saying, I do this so that they don't repent, that they don't turn from their sin, and they don't receive forgiveness. How do we grapple with this? How do we understand what Jesus is saying? That's a, that's a complex statement. Well, first, Jesus isn't just saying that. He's actually quoting scripture. Jesus is quoting Old Testament prophecy in Isaiah, and so the context of that prophecy is how we begin to unlock the key to what Jesus is saying here. It's a direct quote of Isaiah 6, so if you want to turn there, you can. I'll be in Isaiah 6, um, starting in verse 8. Isaiah is this prophet, so God is speaking directly to Isaiah and giving him instructions on, um, on what to tell the people of Israel. <clears throat> and this is what he says. Isaiah says, I heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And God says, go and say this, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, make their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. That's the portion of the prophecy that Jesus just quoted. So God is telling Isaiah to go proclaim the gospel of a coming salvation to Israel. Israel is in exile specifically because their hearts have become hardened to God. They haven't heard, they haven't perceived, they haven't understood, they haven't believed in God that his salvation is coming. And so they are in exile They've continually turned away from God and turned toward their own gods, their own sins. And so God is saying, preach to this people, but tell them that they won't hear it. And in doing so, God is going to continue with Isaiah to say, in telling them how hardened they've become to the, the message of a coming Messiah, some will repent. Some will repent. God is saying, preach to the people, but know that for many, your prophetic proclamation will fall on deaf ears, and it will have the opposite effect. They will grow hardened to the coming Messiah. They won't grow in hope and repentance. So very much this prophecy is dividing Israel, those who hope and repent, those who hope in the Savior coming and will repent and turn from sin and towards the hope that they have in the coming Christ, and those who say, you're wrong. You're wrong. And here Jesus is telling us that his ministry is the same. Jesus is saying, many are going to be unable to hear this gospel. They will perceive the parable, but they will not understand what I am saying. We actually see a lot of this today, right? I, I have friends that aren't believers that will say things like, maybe you've heard this statement, I wish Christians would actually follow Jesus' words and just love everyone. Like, you've probably heard something like that. Like, I like, why can't Christians be like Jesus, who just loves everyone? Again, these people are hearing some parables, but they're not understanding what Jesus is saying. What is Jesus saying? Of course Jesus is saying, love everyone. Jesus is about loving people. 
But what they fail to grasp is the meaning of this concept that Jesus says, I am God and I am love. He says that only through me will anyone experience the God of love. And so Jesus is saying to love someone is not just to serve them, but it's also to invite them into relationship with the God of love. There's no better way to love and there's no other way to love other than through the salvation of Christ. That's why he says that you can only come to the Father through me. So to say, I wish Christians would love, but why are they so bent out of shape if people don't come to Christ? They, they heard the surface, but they didn't get the meaning. They understand and agree with the sayings about love. So do we. But when it comes to Christ's lordship and how true love and true salvation can only come through the Son as a manifestation of his love, they plug their ears and they cover their eyes. They're hardened. So that's this idea that Jesus' ministry then and now in a real way is dividing it's a dividing ministry. It divides between those who can hear, those to whom the secrets have been revealed, and those who can't hear. So does God, in speaking to Israel now with the prophet Isaiah's words, um, as God in Christ is speaking, does he not want people to hear and perceive and be saved? Of course he does. Of course he does. Why did Christ come? Christ came to save people. He came to tell of his kingdom, how to access it, how to be part of the adopted family of God. That's what, that's what the Gospels are all going to be about, how to have access to the kingdom of God through Christ. But what we see in this moment is the plan of redemption unfolding. It's God's plan, and God is going to use his people, this hardened nation of Israel, he's going to use them and their stubbornness to save them. He's going to save them, and he's not only going to save them, he's going to use their stubbornness to save the world entire. He's going to establish a new covenant people, which includes us. Here's what I mean. Israel's hardening to the message of the Messiah is getting really loud. The volume of their, their anger and their blindness to Christ in front of them being the Messiah, is, it's loud here, but it reaches its peak volume when they crucify him. Right? The, the peak of the highest volume of the hardening to the message of Christ is at the crucifixion, where they would rather kill this man proclaiming to be the Messiah, and he's right. They would rather kill him than the murderer, Barabbas. They are so stubborn against God's message of salvation that they reject the Messiah himself. They don't recognize him when he comes. They kill Christ, the Savior, who is sent to them. But God has another plan. He raises from the dead in victory over sin and death. This is the irony, the hostility that leads to the death, the hardening of the people that leads to the death of Jesus, leads to his resurrection, and it leads to their salvation. It transforms the hearts of Israel, and from Israel, the hearts of the Gentiles. That means everybody who's not Israel, right? He uses their stubbornness to save them, and he uses their, he uses their stubbornness to save us. Thinking back to the parable itself, it, it is a parable about salvation and these inhibitors to uh, receiving the gospel message, but it's also about this dividing message of the gospel. And Jesus says, if you have ears to hear it, hear it. 
And so we are left with this question, a self-examining question. Do we have the ears to hear it? Do we have the ears to hear the gospel and allow it to take root in us? Or, or, or maybe asked another way, are you worried that you aren't the right type of soil? Are you worried that you don't have the ears to hear what Jesus is saying? Well, Jesus says, and I want to echo, if you want to have the type of soil, if you want to have ears to hear, then it's granted to you. Right, Matthew 7, 8 says, if you ask, it will be granted. If you look, you will find it. If you knock, the door will be opened. If you want the word of the gospel to take root in good soil and produce good, a good crop of works as a result of the new life based on his finished work, if you want that, if you're, if you're doubting this morning that, 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 am I good soil, am I rocky soil, am I one persecution, social awkward situation away from doubting my faith, don't wonder Ask, Lord, cultivate my soil in a way that allows the grain to root, the fruit to be produced. And he says, yes, I will. The Holy Spirit is transforming our ears into ears that hear. The Holy Spirit is um, turning foolishness into wisdom. The Holy Spirit is making ready the soil to receive the roots of the gospel we need only desire it. We only have to desire it. There is a real sobering, I think, reality to this parable that I want us to, to work through as we kind of self-examine and use it to self-examine. The first is, are we aware of the actual present spiritual warfare battle that rages maybe even in this room right now? Are we soberly praying against the attack of the enemy? This is one of the reasons that we've kind of doubled down on prayer as a congregation this year. It's because we need to recognize the spiritual reality of the war, and we need to pray against it together. And two, when persecution comes as a result of your faith, when that persecution comes, are you rooted in the gospel? That just means... It, it's not only belief, but certainly starts there, but spending time with the Lord in word, in prayer, spending time in community with the congregation through worship and participation in the sacraments. These are the things that hold us fast when real, physical, family-dividing persecution or social persecution happen. Those things are real. They're, they're difficult. And three, do we practice loving the Lord more than the things of the world? The reality is you're going to step out this door this morning um, and you'll be bombarded with advertisements and social media uh, glimpses into people's lives that will invite you to love the things of this world. They all sell the, they, they're selling the same thing, right? They're selling not only if you buy this or achieve this or do this or make this amount, not only will your life be better, you will be better is what they say. Own this and you will be better. Do this and you will be better. Don't fall for it. It's an empty promise. There's only one God with the power to make you better. And he graciously offers it. Should any of these things cause us to despair? No, we shouldn't despair. We have access to a power greater than Satan's power. Amen? 
We have a future that is assured and is worth dying for and being ostracized for. We are promised a kingdom better than anything this dying world has to offer. And the reality is that the secrets of the kingdom have been revealed to you. Do you feel like you deserve them? Good, neither do I. The Holy Spirit is actively tending to your soil, actively giving you ears to hear the truth, actively turning you from the things of this world daily, minute by minute, hour by hour, towards Christ. Are we going to succeed in that when we walk out the door? I hope, but probably not, and it's okay. He's patient, he's lovely, he's loving. To those with ears to hear, the parables aren't complicated. They're simple gospel truth spoken in the language of earth. It's a reminder that our God came to earth. It's a testament to the lengths God has gone in order to save us. He speaks in the language of earth because he knows it. Many of us, if not all of us in the room, share this story of our hard hearts being softened, not necessarily by eloquent arguments, but by the love and the power of the Holy Spirit who gave us ears to hear it. We can rejoice, we can rest, we don't have to we don't have to toil for the sake of anything, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't let our guard down. It doesn't mean we don't take this responsibility seriously. We tend our soil in faithfulness by dwelling with one another and dwelling with the Lord daily. But we know that it's up to the Lord to make us bear fruit. In word and mission, he will cause us to bear fruit. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, if we're faithful. And that just means we appeal to him and ask him and continue to knock and he'll open it. Let's pray and share a meal that sustains us and tills our soil together. Lord, we worship you that your power is greater than Satan's. Lord, we repent and apologize for not being aware, or at least for me, not being aware or giving credence or recognition or prayer against the spiritual battle that rages around us and on earth. I want to pray against that activity. Lord, we praise you for, for a gospel worth dying for, whether that's social death or real death. Wow, we follow. Uh, that's not an empty, an empty reality, Lord, but we follow the God who died. Whose footsteps do I want to follow if not yours? Or we worship you for a kingdom that is coming that is so much more beautiful, more captivating, and more fulfilling than anything this world has to offer. Any status or lifestyle or thing. I turn from my desire for those things or status or, or whatever it might be in a given day, the thing that I've thought, hmm, that's, that's more lovely than, than you. But we turn from it, Lord. And ultimately, we come in gratitude this morning 
as men and women who have been given ears to hear the secrets of the kingdom, our secrets no more, foolishness is no longer foolishness, it's wisdom. Do we understand everything? No. Are we perfect at resisting sin? Far from it. Though we may stumble and fumble our words, you have made us into good soil. We ask for your good word to root deeply in us and among us. And we ask for, for our faithfulness to produce fruit that you would allow us to show the world the real uh, root of love in service, the real expression of the God of love, and that many, many, many would be called into your family as a result. Sustain us this morning, Lord. We love you and trust you. And we pray this in your name. Amen.